Well, good morning. Here we are, stuck, stuck in between, right? Kind of between Christmas and New Year's. Kind of the, the Christmas celebration is over. It's a little too early to start celebrating New Year's. I know not for some of you, you're well on your way, and that's fine. Some of you have been preparing, I don't know, since way back, since January 3rd, probably, to celebrate New Year's again, right? Uh, Christmas that we just celebrated, uh, th- when we celebrate you know, the arrival of, of Christ, His coming, uh, as a baby in the manger, we celebrate that, but we do more than just celebrate his arrival, right? We celebrate everything that's inherent in his coming and in his coming in human flesh. So we've celebrated God's presence in creation in the person of Jesus and of Jesus' ministry, his healing and his miracles, the way that he lived a life of extraordinary care and ministry to others, especially those in need. I mean, inherent in the celebration of Christmas has been the celebration of of the willing sacrifice of his own life in payment for our sins and our transgressions. And even as we worshipped the baby in the manger, we knew that we were worshipping the one who would grow up not just to die, but to be raised again from the dead, signifying God's acceptance of his sacrifice. All of these things are an inescapable part of what we celebrate when we celebrated Christ's coming at Christmas. You see, that night in the stable with the stars and the wise men and the angels and the shepherds. That wasn't the end of the story. In fact, right, it was just the very beginning of the story, the beginning of a life that went on to lead and to teach and to disciple and to love and to care and to heal and to feed and to die and ultimately to rise again. Last week, we celebrated the events surrounding the beginning of, of the life of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to take a look at the events surrounding the beginning of the eternal life of Jesus Christ. And here's what I mean by that. That after Jesus Christ, the man, had been crucified, and after he'd been killed, and after he'd been laid to rest, we know that God raised him back to life. And not just the life that he had known for the previous 33 years, he raised him up to a different kind of life, didn't he? an eternal life, a life that would never end, a life that would never fade, a life that would never die. God transformed the mortal, mortal, corruptible, physical stuff of the man Jesus Christ into an incorruptible, immortal, eternal, glorified body that would never see decay or come to an end. And that was a big, big deal. And this morning, I want to look at one of the first interactions that that Jesus, the risen Jesus, uh, in his newly resurrected state, had with his disciples. And we're going to find that in John's Gospel in the 20th chapter. And when, while we look at that, here's what I want to look at specifically in this first appearance that Jesus makes to his frightened disciples after the resurrection. I want to look at the way that Jesus acted. What are the things that he did? And then I want to take a look at what are some of the things that Jesus said. Because the things that Jesus did at that point and the things that he said in those moments give us great insight into the way that the risen Christ interacts with you and me and his followers today. So if you can, and this will be a bit of a mental and imaginative exercise, can you fast forward with me out of December and out of Christmas and project yourself into April? The sun is shining It's got some warmth behind it. It's spring. The plants are in bloom. We're moving from Christmas to Easter to that amazing Sunday when earlier in the day, 
the disciples at the tomb had discovered that God had raised Jesus from the dead and unto eternal life. And here's what the Apostle John wrote. He said that on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So this is the evening of the Sunday that Jesus had risen from the dead. And in the morning at the tomb in the garden, he'd appeared to Mary Magdalene and a few others. But now he's appearing to all the disciples at once. This had been a pretty big day for Jesus. And I want you to notice these three things about the story that John is talking about. First, that the doors are locked. Second, that the disciples are frightened. And third, that Jesus just comes and is with them in their midst. Because in those three facts, we see three very important things about how the risen Christ deals with us. First, looking at this fact that the doors were locked. It's interesting. Jesus didn't have to knock. He didn't even have to open the door and walk through it. John says that even though the the door was shut and it was locked, and that they were uh, hidden away inside, that suddenly he simply was there with them. He was locked out, and then without anybody unlocking or opening the door or knocking down the wall, he was simply there inside and with them. He wasn't a ghost, right? In verse 20, he says, look, see my hands, my side. This, was, this is the same Jesus that you saw on the cross. It's the same Jesus that you saw laid to rest in the tomb. You can recognize the marks of his physical being. Elsewhere, he told them, look, you can touch me, and you can see that I have a flesh and bones, and a, and a ghost does not. So he has a physical body, and it's a physical body that looks like the body that they had known before, but it wasn't exactly the same. It was different as well. It was simply there in the room despite the closed doors. Walls and doors and locks that would have barred his way before his resurrection, well, they no longer presented any obstacle for him at all. Which is a nice little piece of theological trivia, right? wow, okay, Jesus' body was different after the resurrection was before. In fact, as you head off to your New Year's party, if things are a little bit slow, you just spark up with the question, hey, who here knows how Jesus' resurrection body was different from his previous body? And then plan on waking up somewhere on New Year's Day wondering who hit you in the back of the head and how hard. Jesus' body was different, but why does that matter? What difference does it make? Well, what it means and the difference that it makes is this, that today... In our life, because of the resurrection, because of God's stamp of approval on his sacrifice, because of the act of God raising him up from the dead, that now Jesus can go anywhere. He can go places nowhere else, no one else can go. Into the deep, interior places of our life. He can touch those places that no counselor can even find. He can find those places in our body that no doctor can reach. He can reach places in our soul that our our closest lover cannot find. He can reach you and reach into your life anywhere and at any time. There is no place that you are, no depths of personhood that you are that Jesus Christ cannot penetrate. Jesus' resurrection from the dead, it fits him, it equips him to do what no one else can do. And in part, that's because there is no one like him in the universe. He's alive, 
And He is the one and only God-man. And the things that He is capable of in reaching into our lives and touching the deep, hidden, and sometimes broken places are beyond imagination. It is a healing thought. It is a restoring notion to contemplate that the complex layers of your life and mine, that maybe even you and I can't understand about ourselves, that Jesus is familiar with him, with them. And that even some of the very walls that we would erect and put up to try and hide behind and close ourselves off, that the risen Savior is not blocked by those walls, but he gains access, that he's there. He's able to reach in and touch the places that are in deepest need in you and in me. Sometimes that's a little intimidating when we talk about building walls and keeping people, maybe even God himself, at arm's distance where he's safe and out there somewhere. There's a sense that maybe that's a little better, maybe it's a little safer. But we remain behind those walls, broken and in need. And the risen Christ is the one who doesn't have to even open the doors or break down the walls. He's simply there with us to address those needs. The doors were Shut. But that didn't stop Jesus. Secondly, that passage mentions that the disciples were afraid and they had reason to be, right? Their disciple, their leader, the one that they'd been following for three years, the one with whom they were very closely associated, he had been identified by the Romans as a terrorist threat and had been put to death because of it. That meant that for them, by extension, as his followers and his, as his disciples, they had been identified as terrorist threats as well. And as quick as one man's decision, they could be the ones being put to death also. Their fear is understandable. Their fear is reasonable. And it is into the very middle of that fear that Jesus comes. And, and one of the reasons that I want to draw attention to this and talk about the fear a little bit is because... This is one of the most significant places where many of us find ourselves in need of the risen Savior, of the risen living Jesus in our own lives. I know that's true for me. That I find the need regularly to know the way that the risen Christ addresses my fear. Fear that I won't be prepared for what it is that I'm expected to do. Fear that the church won't be going well or prospering or growing. Fear that there won't be enough, that there won't be enough money, that there won't be enough time, that there won't be enough options out there. I mean, I think back to a moment uh, 20 years ago when I heard the word cancer spoken by my mom's doctor. And I remember the way that immediately, just with the expression of a single word, I felt the talons of fear reaching to grip themselves around my heart and to strangle my heart and my mind and my spirit with fear. And fear came on me strong in that moment and continued to come on in the days and the weeks and in the months that followed that. And I remember as well those powerful, fear-breaking words of peace be with you when they were spoken out of the mouth of the risen Christ. Peace be with you. And what Christ is saying in this action of stepping into the disciples' fear is this. I, he says, I come to my own when they're afraid and when they're troubled and when they're distressed. I don't wait for them to get their act together. I don't 
wait for them to finish the motivational seminar so they overcome their fear in their own power and strength. I don't wait for them to have enough faith to conquer that fear. I come here and now to help them and to give them enough faith to overcome the fear. The peace bringer does not wait until we deserve it or we've earned it. The peace bringer brings his word and brings us his peace into our midst. And I testify to it after some 40 years of uh, following Jesus that it's still true that he still brings peace along with his presence. The risen living Jesus is still doing this. And he comes when we cry out to him. He comes when we're in fear and call out his name. He helps us. The prophet Isaiah put it this way. He said, so do not fear, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I can report with great joy that by God's grace, you know, my mom is healthy today and strong. And that particular fear is not pressing. And it's not immediate. It's not right in the foreground. But I can testify to this as well. Every day, the enemy of my soul attempts to push out to the front of my attention new issues. A long litany of the things that are out there that should frighten me. And every day, if I pay attention to those things that he's pushing to the front of my attention, I will panic. And those around me will suffer and pay the price. But importantly, every day I can choose. I can choose to hear and to listen to the words of the risen Christ saying, Peace be with you. The risen Christ saying, I overcame death and I am here with you. The risen Christ saying, See the the, the nail marks in my hands and the hole in my side, but I've overcome that, and it's going to be okay. Let me ask you just for a moment about the things that get pushed to the front of your consciousness. What things populate that list, that litany of things that the enemy of your soul is telling you, you should be really frightened by this. This should cause you great fear. Maybe the, maybe the winding down to the end of this year has you looking back over what's been a very difficult year. And a difficult year in the rear view leads to some fear looking forward. Or maybe the things that you're fearing really don't have so much to do with what's gone before, but as you do look ahead and you, uh, you plot the likely possibilities of what's to come, maybe it looks bleak. Maybe it looks somewhat hopeless. Maybe it looks dark and oppressive. And because of that, there's a great, great fear. I just want to say this, that Jesus is not in the grave. He is alive. He has risen and conquered death. And he steps into your life where you are, past whatever roadblocks may have been established, and he simply says, I want to bring peace. I bring with me the power of resurrection and I want to translate that in the power of peace for you right where you are. The doors were locked and it didn't matter. And Jesus came and spoke peace to the fear. And thirdly, Jesus comes and he just stands right there in the middle of them. And the point here is that Jesus came and he stood in the middle of their meeting. He didn't, he didn't stand back at the edge He didn't stand outside the room and somehow call in through the walls and deal with them as some distant deity from afar and on high. He wasn't playing games with them. He wasn't toying with their faith. He wanted them to see him and to know him and to believe in him and love him. 
And too often, although Christ desires to be right at the center of our lives, in the middle of the mess and the mix and the stuff that's going on, we make the mistake of trying to keep Jesus out at the periphery, on the outside. To say, Jesus, I don't necessarily need you right here in the day-to-day stuff of my life. I can take care of that. If you could, if you could just stay maybe at the back wall a little bit. Like, not getting involved in the everyday stuff, but if I run into a crisis, if I run into a problem, I need you close enough so that if I yell out in fear, you're there, but please stay at a safe and comfortable distance. But the risen Christ stands in their midst, in and amongst them, in the nitty-gritty where the rubber meets the road. We have a God and a Savior in Jesus Christ who's in touch, who is present and involved. And it's, you know, it's not that he follows up kind of puppy-dogging after us, you know, like the, like the younger brother who follows all the big kids saying, hey, can I play? Can I play? I want to be involved. It's not that. It's that the risen Christ has solutions to our problems. He can deal with the things that we're having trouble dealing with in very practical ways. He can help. He, he's a risen Christ who's overcome death. He can help us put our finances in order. He can give you wisdom on making good decisions about how we parent our kids. He can help you set your priorities and your goals. He can give you wisdom about whether or not to go out with that guy or whether to marry that girl or whether to have that fifth piece of pumpkin pie or whatever it may be. And that's what he wants for you today. I want you to experience the living Jesus, to know him in the middle, in the midst of your life, to have him draw near into your life where no one else can go, to have him help you in your fear by bringing you his peace, and to have him come to you close to you not from a distance, but near and close. That's my prayer for us, both today in this service and in the coming year as well. All of that is inherent in in the actions that Jesus took in interacting with his disciples after his resurrection. Can we take a moment to look at what he said along the way as well? What we see when we look at the passage there in John is that he says essentially three things, and Um, These three things turn out to be gifts as well. The gift of peace, the gift of power, and the gift of purpose. So the opposite of peace is conflict, right? The opposite of power is weakness. The opposite of purpose is aimlessness. Conflict, weakness, aimlessness. And some of us, between all the rush and the hustle and the bustle and and the family interactions over the holidays, we've hit the trifecta. We've had all of those. But that's not what Jesus wants for our life. He doesn't want conflict and weakness and aimlessness. He wants to give peace and power and purpose. And one of the difficulties is that we tend to look in all of the wrong places for those things. Like like moths drawn to the flame, we are drawn to the counterfeits for for God's purpose and peace and power. So we long for peace and we say, I think I know where I can get that. If I could just if I could settle the finances and become stable, if I could make enough money or settle that relationship, then I would have peace. Or I long to have power and significance, so if I could just get that job or that promotion or that role or that position, if I can improve myself enough, then I'll have the influence that I need and then all will be well. And oh my gosh, in terms of a personal purpose, there are so many causes to choose from, right? From politics, regardless of which side of the aisle you may be on, to animal rights, to global warming, to global cooling, to the cure for cancer, to save the left-handed, bald-headed, grammatically uptight, overeating people, that's me. (laughs) 
but we feel like I can gain purpose if I just get in touch with the right cause. But Jesus comes into the room, and the disciples are obviously freaking out. Why? Because the doors are locked and he's there anyway. And, oh yeah, he was dead 12 hours ago. So they're kind of freaking out. And twice Jesus says, peace be with you. And he says this before he says anything having to do with power and purpose because peace is the source of those things, not the result. The order is important. The peace that Jesus gives comes before any call to action and any empowerment for that action. And the peace that Jesus offers the disciples is the peace that he accomplished when he died for them on the cross. So he shows them his hands and his sides and says, I'm the one who died. I'm the one who you abandoned. I'm the one who is pierced for your transgressions. And the reason that I can offer you peace is because by my blood I have overcome, I have covered all of your sins. And if you trust me, your sins will not be held against you. All the hostility between God and your sin will have been absorbed on the cross. He showed them his side and his hands and he said, I did this so that you can have peace. Will you accept it? And when we do that, when we accept the peace that comes with following Jesus, with accepting his sacrifice on the cross on our behalf, behalf and believing that when we do that, it affects every relationship that we have. It affects our relationship with Jesus himself because now he becomes our friend and our helper. It affects our relationship with God the Father, right? Because Jesus has paid the price for our failures and God's justice has been satisfied by Christ's sacrifice. When we, accept, when we accept what Christ has done for us on the cross, it changes our relationship with others who follow Jesus. Because to be reconciled to God is to be reconciled to everyone else who's reconciled to God. So there's no hostility. There's no racism. There's no ethnocentrism, no classism, no sexism, no hatred, no bigotry. All those things fade away as we make our peace with God. There is a, there's a peace that happens in our relationship between us and our own souls. Because we can pretend and we can fool a lot of people a lot of the times. And some of the times we can even pretend and fool ourselves that we're doing okay and that we're all right. But eventually the moment comes when we take that hard look in the mirror, right? And realize, I am a broken, guilty person. And I am in my own strength and power incapable of being and becoming the person that I wish that I were. Only Jesus can bring peace to that moment when he acknowledges that, yes, it's true you're incapable and broken, but it's okay because I have a peace for your soul and a plan for your life that I will empower you to fulfill. And when we accept Christ, we find that we're, uh, as well, brought into a place of peace with all the world, whether they follow Jesus or not. When Jesus is with us, we can know peace even in the middle of a world that is crazy and mixed up and broken down. And I think it is one of the saddest ironies in the world that sometimes Jesus' followers are perceived to be just really uptight and uncomfortable and disapproving and stern with people who aren't following Jesus and who aren't living their life the way that God has instructed them to do. That sometimes Jesus' followers has, have this reputation of being just uh, uptight and uncomfortable around the people that they would consider sinners. And the reason that's so tragic and the reason that it's so ironic is that Jesus got along great with those folks. 
They were his peeps. That's where he hung out. All the people who had it all together and had it all dialed in and had their life kind of polished up to a nice shine, they didn't get along with Jesus so well because he was hanging out and, by the way, having a great time with the people whose life wasn't so polished. There was something about the person of Jesus and his understanding of who he was and his relationship with God that allowed him to say, you know what, despite the fact that I am the second person in the Trinity, the Son of God, God incarnate in human flesh, all of that being true, I can have a great time with people who are very different than me, who see the world from a completely different perspective than I do. And I can just love them because that's the nature of God in me. That's the way Jesus behaved. And when we come to Christ, that's one of the things that ought ought to start happening to us, right? Is that over time, we shouldn't get more disapproving of people. We should become more loving and embracing. We shouldn't get less comfortable with the fact that there's sin in the world. We should actually become more comfortable and say, gosh, Jesus embraced people in a sinful world. I want to be like him. That's what it means. When Jesus comes into our life, it's peace everywhere. Peace with Jesus. Peace with God the Father peace with other believers, peace with our own soul, and peace with a world that doesn't know him yet. I want peace like that. Most of us do. How do we get it? It's simple. You have to receive it. It's a gift. You can't naturally have it. It's not a genetic gift to the few. It's not available to to just a select few. It's available to all. It's God's free gift. God says, would you receive the gift of Jesus Christ? and the forgiveness of sins that was purchased with his death on the cross, would you receive the peace that comes along with that? And we either receive that offer or we walk away from it. It's only if you have the risen, living Christ as your Savior and Lord and treasure and friend, if you have that, then you have the peace that he gives, the peace that he is. That's why John wrote in chapter 1 of his gospel, yet to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus offers that. It's there to be received. I probably spent more time talking on peace because it's primary and it's first and it's free. But let me just talk as well that Jesus didn't stop there. He went on to say this. He said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That's about the purpose, right? Just as I've been sent, I send you. And and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. That's the power to live out that purpose, is the Holy Spirit. So with regard to our peace, that's found only in Jesus. With regard to purpose, we are sent with a mission, just as Jesus was. What was Jesus' mission? He came as an example to demonstrate to a watching world what God is like by living according to his nature, his nature of love. So Jesus came as an example. And he came to bring hope and healing, right? To heal those who are sick, to allow the lame to walk, the blind to see, to feed those who are hungry, to clothe those who had no clothing. He came to bring hope and healing. He came to bring people closer to God. And he came to do that by laying down and sacrificing his own life. And the Jesus who did that said, just as I was sent, Now I'm sending you. What's our purpose? To live our life as an example by allowing the nature of God's love to be lived out through us. To bring hope and healing 
to find ways to feed the poor, to clothe those who are naked, to bring healing to those in need. Like Jesus, we have a purpose, and that's to bring people closer to God and to do that by laying down our own lives sacrificially to see that people can be redeemed. We talk a lot about wanting to win the world for Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen without sacrifice. The sacrifice of our time, of our energy, of our care, of our involvement, it requires that. It did for Jesus, it will for us as well. It's a tall order for us. It requires a lot. And none of us have in our own strength and resources the ability to pull it off. And so Jesus breathes on us and says, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm not asking you to live out my great commission in your own strength, your own weakness, your own brokenness. I'm asking you to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit who will dwell within you. That makes it doable. That makes it possible. So I think I want to pause at the close and simply say this as we wind to the end of one year and look ahead to the beginning of the next. The central reality of the Christian faith is the risen Christ. That the Jesus who died was raised by God into eternal life. And that the result of that is that there is an offer on the table right? An offer to either receive what his death and subsequent resurrection accomplished and to walk in that on the one hand or to walk away from it on the other. I'm going to ask if you would to bow your heads. And I'm, and I'm going to offer maybe two different ways to respond to the message this morning. And the first one is this. It's for those who you're already a believer. You're already a Christian. You know that you're a follower of Jesus. But maybe like the disciples, you're tucked away inside, hiding in fear, in desperate need of God's peace or of his power. You, you need the experience of the risen Christ stepping into the middle of your life and saying, I bring peace to you. And if that's you, I want to pray for you in just a moment. But I'd love to know who I'm praying with and praying for. So if that's you and you need kind of that sense of Jesus' peace in this coming new year, you need that reality to be made uh, to be amplified in your soul. Would you raise your hand real quick and you can slip that down and we'll be praying together in, in just a moment. Fantastic. A lot of us find ourselves in that boat. There's a second and a different kind of response I want to get to before I pray as well, and that's this. And this would be for those who maybe you're not currently a follower of Jesus. There's never come that moment when you've said, I want to follow him. Whether, whether it's I believe or I want to be a Christian or I want to follow Jesus, there's, there's just never come the time where you said, I received that offer that's on the table. The forgiveness of my sin because of Christ's death and the peace with God that comes along with that. And it is as simple as believing in faith and receiving it. And so I want to offer that to you today. If you've never before said yes to Jesus, but today you want to say, yes, I receive it. Yes, I believe it. And I want to spend the rest of my life living that out, growing in faith. I want to pray with you this morning as well. And if that's you, would you raise your hand up high so that I can see and we'll be praying together in just a moment. 
I'll pray from up here and you can pray from where you're seated. Anyone? Yeah, excellent. Praise God for that. Fantastic. So for that one who raised their hand and for any others that may be kind of raising their hand in their heart, I'm going to pray this up front. Would you, would you pray this in your heart while I do? Dear God, this morning in this place, I'm making a very important decision. I'm making a decision to receive Jesus Christ into my heart. This morning I'm saying, I believe that Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for my sins and failings and weaknesses. And that when God raised him from the dead, God put his stamp of approval on Christ's sacrifice. And as a result, I am forgiven and clean today. Jesus, I receive that gift. I place my faith in you. Would you walk into the very middle of my life today and bring me the peace that you've promised? And would you lead me and guide me forward into a life of knowing God better? of following him closer and accomplishing his will. Thank you for the promise of eternal life that I can now claim in faith because of what Jesus has done. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. And God, there were many others of us as well, maybe longtime followers of Jesus, who just need the reality of Christ in our midst speaking his peace and his purpose, and his power over us. God, we want to say by by that same faith as well, God, we receive that. Would you take these words that have been spoken and would you embed them deep in our spirit? And God, would this be a week as we transition into a new year where we encounter your strength and your power and your peace in ways that we have not in a long time? God, would you speak the words that dispel the fear about whatever we face going forward? That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.